Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, hey, way to go, church. Uh, In the midst of that drought over there in Kenya, that well exists for that tribe because of you. You guys funded that well. Uh, You guys funded those cows. And let's be praying that God will provide rain there. And uh, I don't know about you, I, the first time I saw that video of those people worshiping God and jumping and dancing, uh, people who have nothing compared to us materially, uh, and yet they're just rejoicing, um, it, it moved me to tears the first time I saw that. And I'm just so grateful to be part of a movement where as we combine our resources of our time, our energy, everything else, God is able to multiply out with uh, With the body of Christ, it's a lot more than one plus one equals two. It's like one plus one equals 11. And then you do one plus one plus one times however many thousands we've got, and it's just amazing to see God multiply. Uh, Over in Avon, we're so glad you're with us today. Those of you online, we're so glad that you're with us today. I hope you know today that God loves you, and I really mean that. I hope you understand that there's a a living being who created you, who crafted you. And if this is your first time in church, or if maybe you've been coming for a long time, but you're just feeling far from God, you need to know today that he loves you, no matter what you're going through. That's very much what we're learning in this series. And today, we're going to talk about the times in life when you're going through pain, when you're going through suffering. Is it possible in the midst of that to smile? How do you smile through the pain in life. Last weekend, I ended the message with the story of my wife giving birth to our son, Jack, and without any epidural or pain medication, the severe agony, the tears of agony in a moment turned to tears of joy uh, when the birthing nurse and the doctor set that, uh, our son, on my wife's chest. And those same tears went from agony to delight. It was this mix of emotions, and really we're talking about that today. We'd like to think that the great highs of life, the wonderful things in life happen without pain, but real life experience, even if you're here and you don't yet know where you are with God, you just look at real life, it kind of declares that most good joy is on the other side of some kind of pain. Uh, We see this with childbirth. We also saw this at the Super Bowl. And I know some of you might be thinking about the halftime show, but that's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about the actual athletes and how much pain they push through, how much pain any successful person pushes through. I came across these two interviews. It was a historic Super Bowl. Most of you saw it. First one ever where both quarterbacks were African-American, really cool. Uh, Also, a Super Bowl where both quarterbacks are devoted followers of Jesus, not just like casual Christians, but guys who talk openly about their faith. Listen to Patrick Mahomes before the game, talking about his relationship with God through Jesus and how he wanted to glorify God on the Super Bowl field. Go ahead and take a look. I mean, my Christian faith plays a role in everything that I do. I mean, I always ask God to to lead me in the right direction and let me be who I am uh, for his name. So 
it has a role in everything that I do, and obviously it will be on the huge stage in the Super Bowl that he's given me, and I want to make sure I'm glorifying him while I do it. Pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. Uh, it's always surprising slash not surprising when you find someone who's at the top of their field, and then you learn that they're a believer in Jesus and they practice the principles of God's word. You'll find it all over the place. In fact, here's how Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts after the game, and if, if you saw the game, it was a really close game. It was a really good game. It came down to one call that a lot of Philadelphia Eagles, you know, will never get over, uh, maybe understandably. And, but here's the thing. After all that, could you imagine being the quarterback? I mean, this guy has worked his whole life to get to this moment. What does he say after a defeat that just doesn't make any sense? Go ahead and take a look. My favorite scripture, John 13, 7, you may not know now, but later you understand, um, just, just reminds me to keep, um, continue to be patient, continue to, to remain diligent, steadfast, keep going, keep your eyes on me and keep God at the center, regardless of what the circumstance is. So I don't know if you caught that, but Jalen quoted this verse from John 13, verse 7, where Jesus is talking to the disciples and they don't understand. They don't understand why their best friend and savior and Messiah has to go to the cross. They can't comprehend it. And in that moment, Jesus says to them, you do not realize right now, in this moment, you don't realize what I'm doing. You don't see right now how this is going to be for your good and for the good of others. Uh, right now, you can't comprehend that a day will come in your life and you'll look back on this difficulty that you don't understand and you'll say, oh God, that's what you were doing. And so Jesus says, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. I wonder in your life right now, what pain or loss do you not understand? Is it the loss of a loved one? Maybe it's the pain or the loss of family conflict. You're doing everything you can to reconcile with someone you love, and they, they just won't. They're unreasonable. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's depression. Maybe for you, it's just trying to find your place in the world. You, you, you have a sense of you don't have roots. You don't know where you belong, and you keep trying, and, and you just don't understand. For my wife, Melanie, and me this week, this pain of just what we don't understand right now is the homegoing of our brother, Brian Green. God called Brian home this last week. Just amazing brother in our church family. He was only 53 years old. It was around November that he and his precious wife, Gwen, learned that he had a form of cancer. Uh, and then just within a matter of months here, God called him home. And as a pastor, just like as a parent, I'm not supposed to have favorites. Uh, but Brian's just one of those that you just, um, he just is such an encourager. He loves on people so much. And I say is because of his faith in Jesus, he's alive today. He's just not with us. He's in the presence of God. There, there's a, a, a passage where after Jesus rose from the dead on that Easter morning, an angel says, he is not here for he is risen. And for all who've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you have a 100% confidence that when your body dies, uh, you will be risen in the presence of God through Jesus' work on the cross. You don't have to pay money or do good deeds you just have to humble yourself to receive the free gift of salvation. And we know with 100% confidence that Brian did that. 
and we saw the change in his life as he became part of our mini marathon group here at Connection Point, kind of became their mascot, just loving on people, encouraging people. And um, sometimes in life, because this world's broken by sin, some of the best people get called home early, and I don't understand why that is. Uh, Can you relate to that feeling? Maybe for you it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's something else. Can you relate to just wondering, I I don't know how anything good could come out of this. That's the question we're going to wrestle with. How can you bring good from the worst situations in your life? How could you see God bring good from the worst situations in your life? If God answers this question for you, in a way that right now, in, in the middle of whatever you're going through, you could grab onto it, uh, would you want to know what he says? Well, as we do here every weekend, we open the word of God and we have discovered that in the Bible, God answers these kind of questions, the very emotional questions as well as the very intellectual questions. And, and normally, I take you straight to the scripture and then we kind of draw the answer out, but today I'm going to jump to the answer and then show it to you from scripture. Here is the answer to this question. How can you bring good from the worst situations in your life? And it's this, uh, you've got to, when you're going through the difficulty, keep believing God's promises. Keep believing that he has a plan, even if it doesn't make sense. And keep trusting that even when your pain sensors physically or emotionally are screaming that there can't possibly be a plan, are screaming that you shouldn't trust God because of your pain. Now, I realize that just looking at this answer head on, it's a lot like if you're trying to be a fast race car driver and you were to go to, you know, Al Unser Jr. or someone and say, how do I drive faster? And they said, well, just drive faster, right? Like just trust his promises, right? It it, it seems really hollow. It seems really empty. It seems kind of undoable. And so what I want to show you today is how to do this. And I'm not here to unpack every promise of God, but I want to give you a really quick flyover of just four sample promises, because if you don't understand the kind of promises God gives you, this won't make sense. So uh, if you're someone who takes pictures with your phone of the slides, you might want to get ready for that. If you're a note taker, get ready to write real fast because we're just going to fly over four of these sample promises and then we're going to look at a true story of someone who did this to see how you can do this. Here's a promise. When you lose a loved one, you have the promise that you will be reunited with them. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, after that, after when Jesus returns, we who are still alive... And who are left, we will be caught up together with them. That is all the believers in Jesus who died before us in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be, we being us and Brian Green and every believer who's gone to heaven before us, we will be together with the Lord forever. This is just one of hundreds of promises. Here's a promise for uh, when you're dealing with shame, when you're dealing with sin, when you feel like you're not good enough the promise that you will be made perfect. Philippians 1 verse 6, God says this, you, follower of Jesus, can be confident, not in your own strength, 
but confident that the God, the creator, who began a good work in you, the moment you believed in Jesus, he started a work in you, and God doesn't leave projects half finished. He will complete you. He will mature you. And so your progression spiritually, while you need to surrender, doesn't ultimately depend on you. It depends on him. That's a key promise. Here's a promise for when all you have in your life is pain with no hope. You claim the promise of Romans 8 that God will bring good from your pain. Romans 8 verse 28, this is one that's worth memorizing, all all of these are, is we know that God causes everything, even the bad things that other people do and that Satan has done, he causes it all to work together for good in the end. The good of who? Well, your good if you've placed your faith in Jesus for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Here's a promise for when sickness or suffering define your very existence, the promise that you will be healed from the book of Revelation, which tells you your future state, this will be a moment that you will experience in your future, that Jesus will wipe every tear from your eye. There will be a time that you cry the last tear. You'll look back on planet earth. You'll look back on all the suffering. You'll weep that you've finally been fully delivered. He'll wipe that final tear from your eye and there will be no more death. There will be no more grieving and mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. For the old order of things, that is all of this life as we know it, which is more broken than we understand, will be replaced with a new way of life. Uh, This visual kind of demonstrates, I just showed you four of these promises. There's a universe, galaxy of these promises that you can claim. And that's part of how you grow in Christ is you get to know his promises. And whenever you're going through difficulty, you search the scriptures and you ask other believers in your small group or come ask a pastor, ask one of us after a service, I need a promise of God for what I'm going through. And you learn to hold on to these. I want to take you now, uh, let's review. How do you see God work good from your pain? You keep believing his promises. I just showed you four out of 400, out of many more. And you keep trusting God has a plan. And I'm going to keep believing in him even as I go through my pain. So now I want to take you into the true story. Uh, I want to show you, you know, what does this look like in real life? What does this look like? And we find what it looks like in the true story of Joseph, which is recorded in your Bible, in the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, Joseph was one of the younger brothers out of like 12 guys. Imagine having that many brothers. And uh, he was hated by his other brothers, partly because God had given Joseph a promise for his future. And Joseph really claimed that promise. And starting in verse 18, his brothers, they're out in the field. They see Joseph in the distance. And as he's walking toward them, they're gossiping about him. Uh, We live in the Midwest, so you know what that's like, right? People gossip here all the time. Joseph's brothers were the same way. They're gossiping about him as he's walking toward them. And they've been doing this for so long, and the hatred in their heart has been growing, that they decide, being out in the middle of nowhere, that they're going to kill him when he gets there. Here comes that dreamer, verse 19, they said to each other. That dreamer, God had given Joseph a dream, a promise. Joseph didn't have the Bible like we do, so God spoke to Joseph in a dream. And Joseph held on to that promise, and these guys hated him for believing this promise of God. Come now, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns out here in the desert. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, hey guys, how you doing? They strip him of his robe. And then look at this, verse 24. They took him and they threw him into the cistern. This is a hand dug, very deep well. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Joseph, if you can put yourself in his position, he's now been thrown into this deep pit. He's struggling at the bottom. The walls are too steep to climb up. And he can kind of hear the murmur of his brothers talking and the emotions as they're all exchanging. But he can't understand everything they're seeing. And as Joseph is or saying, as he's struggling down there, his brothers see dust rising on the horizon. It was a roving band of slave traders making their way to North Africa, purchasing slaves on their way. One of the brothers says, hey, why leave Joseph here to die? We're going to feel bad about that. Let's just sell him as a slave, and we'll actually make a little money off of the deal. So sell him, they did. Joseph's life in a moment goes from secure in a pretty big family where, you know, he knew the land, he had an inheritance, he was favored by his dad, to in a moment, chains digging into his flesh as he limps along for 30 days, mile after mile on foot, at a blistering pace, with slavers whipping him whenever he doesn't keep up, prodding him, shoving him, shouting. Joseph finds himself surrounded by other slaves, many from other ethnicities and who speak other nation, uh, other languages, some frighteningly strong, some frighteningly wounded from these beatings by these slave traffickers. Others are coughing up blood, wheezing, dragging along behind this slave cart as their bodies give out. And I wonder right now, it, just this moment of Joseph's story, which parts might you relate to? Maybe it's the physical pain. Maybe it's the emotional wound. Maybe it's the pain of being betrayed, hungry, alone, confused. Here's what Joseph would have seen as they finally make their way into this bustling metropolis in Egypt, world superpower at the time, and one of the mega cities of the ancient world. And Joseph would have seen as he's along in this slave chain gang on their way into the city, these huge hand-carved statues. And he finds himself with blood and blisters and calluses there in North Africa, they enter this metropolis, and it's an open market. There's all sorts of animals for sale, and fabrics for sale, and oils, and foods, and animals for sale. And Joseph, in the middle of the noise of a thousand strangers, is put up for sale as property. He gets purchased by someone he doesn't know who speaks a language he doesn't know. Here's an ancient Egyptian drawing from around this era, and it shows you, if you look at it, uh, the brutality of the way these slaves were traded. The tall figure on the right is Egyptian. On the left, you see three slaves, and you can actually see they have three different skin colors. Egypt, as a world superpower, was gathering slaves from north, south, east, west, there in North Africa. Here's the Egyptian social pyramid at this time in history. You can see the pharaoh is at the top, has totally unchecked power as a tyrant, a dictator, a ruler, but also was worshipped as God. Every Egyptian had to kneel down and bow down and worship Pharaoh. Under Pharaoh, you see his government officials, and then you see his soldiers who keep order in the nation. 
through just brutal methods, and on it goes down to the slaves. As you can see, there's about 20 slaves for every one Egyptian, and that's why the soldiers were so important to keep the slaves in order, and Joseph becomes at the very bottom of society, not just a slave, but a slave of a different ethnicity, and yet in that, we see in the book of Genesis that Joseph continues to trust God. The promise God gave him, it sure doesn't look like it's going to happen. But he chose to walk with God. He chose to still believe that God wasn't doing this to him. It was his brothers who did this. And that God wasn't the source of all the evil in Egypt. That was, that was Pharaoh and wicked people. And so Joseph, instead of turning away from God in his pain, he clings all the tighter to God. And so even though he's working out in the fields as a slave, Joseph walking with God is honest, he's trustworthy, he's one of the best workers, and he works his way up as he learns the language to actually be a slave in the house of his master, a guy named Potiphar. And that's pretty nice because now you get to eat, you get to sleep inside, like life's better when you're an inside slave for Joseph. And then Joseph keeps working his way up and he gets all the way up to where he becomes in charge of this entire estate. Be like a plantation in our American context. He's in charge of it all. And so if you imagine Joseph's life as a graph, you know, it's up here and it goes way down. And now he's worked his way up and he's trusting God. And this is when, if you're familiar with the story, he gets falsely accused. Potiphar's wife was, I guess what you'd call today, a desperate housewife, an Egypt, desperate housewives of Egypt. And she tries to seduce Joseph while he's working in the house one day. And he resists her. He says, I couldn't do that to my master. And uh, then she lies about him. She's, she's petty and she's jealous and she's hurt. And she lies and says that he tried to seduce her. So Genesis 39 verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. How would you feel if you'd lost everything and you'd worked as hard as you could to, to get a little something back and then someone lies about you, someone wrongs you, and now, boom, you've lost everything again. There are hints in here. I, I, I'm trying to summarize the story, but Potiphar most likely knew that Joseph was innocent. There's a lot of prisons he could have put him in. You know, I've heard that if you commit a crime in the U.S., you want to be in federal, not in state. And it was kind of like that. Joseph goes to the best prison, so Potiphar probably knows that Joseph's actually innocent, but what's he going to do? But notice this. A lot of us in this moment would say, man, God gave me this promise, and things just keep getting worse. Joseph somehow continues to believe God has a plan. And in time, it will be revealed that it's no accident that Joseph is in Pharaoh's prison. Because guess who else is in Pharaoh's prison? A lot of his friends <laughs> Because Pharaoh has unchecked power, if he has a bad day, if he doesn't like the meal he's fed, he sends the baker to prison. If he doesn't like the joke one of his friends told, he sends them to prison. So a lot of Pharaoh's friends are in and out. And so now Joseph chooses to continue to believe God's promise, to trust God in the difficulty. And the same thing that happened as a slave, now as an inmate, all the other inmates and even the guards are like, boy, it's great having Joseph around. We can kind of trust Joseph. He's honest. We can give him jobs around here. And Joseph becomes really favored 
among all these inmates who happened to all be friends of Pharaoh. Verse uh, 21 of chapter 39, while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. There's someone here today, and this is the, the, the portion of God's word that God brought you here for. This is God's word for you. You're in a prison of pain. You're in a prison of addiction. You're in a prison of uncertainty. And, and your pain sensors and, and the whispers of the enemy are saying, God's not there. God doesn't care. And what God tells you today through the true story of Joseph is that God is with you in your prison. He's with you in your suffering. Don't turn away from him. Turn to him. He was with Joseph in the suffering. Choose to believe that. Well, God's going to use this in his providence because soon one of Pharaoh's friends who's been in prison, Pharaoh calls the guy back out, change of mood. And Joseph has helped this guy in some really big ways. And so you'd be thinking, oh, good, the guy who got out is going to tell Pharaoh how great Joseph is. Two years pass. Two years. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, oh, oh, now I think I see how it could get better. And then a year passes. And then another year passes. Joseph keeps believing the promises of God. He keeps trusting that God has a plan. He keeps believing God's not the author of the evil in my life, but God has the power to work even the evil for good if I'll keep trusting him. And finally, two years later, Pharaoh has this problem he can't solve, and the friend of Joseph's from the other inmate from prison who's out says, oh, Pharaoh, wait, wait, I should have told you this two years ago, but there's a guy who I met in prison who could solve your problem. And Pharaoh's like, well, bring him here. So in a moment... Joseph goes from inmate to getting all cleaned up, shoved into the presence of this God, small g, emperor, ruler, king, who could kill him at the snap of a finger. <laughs> Think about this. In Joseph's life, if he'd gone straight from the youngest brother in the fields to this moment, he wouldn't have known Pharaoh's language. He wouldn't have known Pharaoh's culture. He wouldn't have even known how to stand. But he knows all that. From his time as a slave, from his time as an inmate, while God wasn't causing the suffering, God actually used the suffering to prepare Joseph. And we see in Joseph's answer to Pharaoh here in verse 16, his high view of God. This is representative of how did Joseph get through, how did he smile through all these tears? How did he smile through all this pain? It's because he always saw God this way. Look at this. Pharaoh presents his problem to Joseph. Joseph knows I could get killed or at the very least sent back to prison if I don't solve his problem. And what are, what are the first words out of his mouth? I cannot do it. I cannot do it. But God will. There's someone here, or maybe an Avon or maybe online, and here's the deal. You're going through your suffering and you're trying to believe in God. You're trying to do the right stuff. But you have yet to come to the moment of humility where you acknowledge you can't beat that addiction in your strength. You can't figure out where your family fits in your strength. You can't beat the cancer. You can't heal the marriage. You, you can't. But God can. And Joseph, because he had this high view of God and this clinging to God's promises, 
stands before this emperor and says, um, what you're asking me to do, I'm incapable. But I have a God who can. I have a God who can. And as Joseph turns to God for the answer to Pharaoh's question, God provides it. Pharaoh brings Joseph into his inner circle. Joseph is one of his counselors, advisors. And then Joseph runs the exact same play that he ran in Potiphar's house. From slave out into the fields to trusted right-hand counselor. And Joseph becomes the right-hand person. And Pharaoh says, literally all of my kingdom, Joseph, you're in charge of it. You're pretty much like the junior Pharaoh. You snap your fingers, whatever you want done will be done. And I'm summarizing about 20 chapters of the Bible here, so bear with me. But eventually, this famine, uh, there's a famine, and God used Joseph to help Pharaoh prepare. They've stockpiled food. All the surrounding nations are starving to death, and they're coming to Egypt. Pharaoh's selling the extra food. And who comes in? with all these other dehydrated, malnourished foreigners begging for food, but Joseph's brothers. And Joseph hears about these people who speak Hebrew, and then they're standing before him. They don't know it's their brother that they threw in a pit and sold as a slave, because now he looks like the emperor of Egypt. And here's what he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, when he's reunited with his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me. That was your motive. You wanted to kill me. You wanted to hurt me. But God, God is so big. God is so powerful. God is so all-wise that he can take a person's evil intentions and he can spin them in the pinball game of the universe that he's in charge of. He spun your evil intentions and he worked it out for good. Notice, Joseph never says, hey guys, it's okay what you did to me. But he says, my God is so big that even when you abused me and you wronged me and you betrayed me, my God had the ability to turn it for good. He brought me into this position so that I could save the lives of many people. And this is, whenever you go through suffering in this fallen world, what God will do in the end for you and through you if you'll continue to believe his promises and trust his plan in your suffering. This doesn't make it hurt less. There are still tears. There's still pain. But this allows you to smile through the tears. It allows you to smile through the pain because you just know like a, a, a Super Bowl athlete whose muscles are burning and they've never been so fatigued and they know I've just got to keep giving it everything I've got because there's a trophy that awaits. There's a good ending to this suffering. You can know that, child of God. Your suffering, not only will it end, God will use it to help other people and to save the lives of others. So that's our big idea. Hopefully it makes more sense now. Keep believing God's promises in the middle of what you're going through right now. Where you are right now, connect these dots in your heart, in your will, in your spirit. Identify your pain. Choose to believe God's bigger. Choose to believe he'll bring good from it and just claim this right now. God, let me be like Joseph. 
God, help me to believe you in my suffering. And of course, Jesus, who Joseph is kind of a a foreshadowing picture of what Jesus would be like, a suffering servant sold for the price of a slave who gives his life, right? Uh, One of Jesus' 12 betrays him. Joseph was one of 12. There's a thousand parallels. And what does Jesus do the night before the cross? He agonizes in the garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating drops of blood. He says to the disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And yet in it, he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. As almighty God humbled down to earth in a human form, he modeled for us, trust the plans of God the Father. Trust that if he allows you to go through pain, there's good on the other side of it. He doesn't delight in your suffering. He's near to the brokenhearted. He will uphold you in your suffering. He's not only gonna deliver you and get you through, but he's gonna work good from it. Unthinkable pain leads to unimaginable good. In Joseph's case, where his family would have starved to death, they flourish. He ends up moving them all to Egypt with him. He's reunited with his dad. It's a picture of the moment when you and I will step into the kingdom of God. We're reunited with our loved ones who've gone before, and we've gone through the pain. This world is our Egypt, if you will. So what would this look like in your life today? I want to give you three really practical steps. They're not long. They're pretty simple. Three steps that you could take today. Step one is this. Turn to God in your pain rather than turning away from God because of your pain. You see the difference? When there's pain in your life, it presents you with really just two choices spiritually. You might think when you're hurting that there's thousands of choices, but in the spiritual realm, there's two. You either turn to God and say, God, help. I trust that you're good and you're for me and you want to help me. Or you fall for the lie that God's doing this to you, that God's against you, that God wants to harm you, and so you turn away from God. Do you understand the difference? I wonder with the pain in your life right now, just between you and God, which one have you been doing lately? Turning to God with the pain or turning away from him because of it. Only you can make that choice. Here's something I've learned and observed. We see it in Joseph's life. We see it in reality. Whether pain drives you toward God or away from God does not actually depend on the level of your pain. This is a little bit profound, but it's in Joseph's life. When we hurt, we tend to think, no one else has ever hurt this bad. God must be abandoning me. But actually, whether you turn to God or away from him doesn't depend on your pain. It depends on your heart. Depends on you. This is your free will. This is your choice. You get to push the lever one way or another, and you can choose to turn to God no matter how severe the pain is. Something I saw as a journalist and news reporter, and now I've seen it as a pastor, I've seen people go through Fairly low-level pain, and I don't mean to demean their pain, but I mean like the kind of pain that we all just have to go through, like a breakup, right? When you go through a breakup, you feel like it's the end of the world, but it's like common to humanity. We all have to go through them, right? I've seen people go through that pain and say, God's not good, God's not for me, and they turn away from God. Then I've seen people go through pain. My friend Joy, who was literally run over by a car as an adult, It broke her spine. She's been in a wheelchair for 16 years now. And she turned to God. She turns to God every day. Every wheel of her chair, every time she has to crawl across the bathroom floor, she turns to God. 
and I've seen in Joy's life and in a bunch of others, it's not the level of our pain that forces us to or away from God, it's our heart choice. And so this is the most important choice you can make. And I, I hope you don't hear me, I'm not trying to demean your pain. Please don't hear that. God weeps with you, he's near to the brokenhearted, but what I'm telling you is this, don't fall for the lie that you have to turn away from God because your pain is so bad. You can turn to him because your pain is so bad. That's a choice you can make, and that's how you see him bring good from it. Second step is this. Believe that God will work unthinkable good from your unthinkable pain. That word unthinkable is on purpose. Because I know that in your pain right now, you're like, I, there's no way good could come out of this. You're in the pit, you're in the prison, you're in Potiphar's house, and yes, from where you sit and what you can see, there is no way good could come from it. It's unthinkable that good could come from it, but God's an unthinkable God, and he does unthinkable things, and if you'll choose to believe him, God, I I couldn't bring good from this. No other being in the universe could bring good out of this pain, but you can. I can't, but you can. And so even though my pain's unbearable and unthinkable, I'm gonna choose to believe that you can bring unimaginable good from it. That's why I titled this message, How to Smile Through the Tears. Because even as you're gritting in pain and you're crying and your soul is burning, there are tears of knowing, I don't know how God's gonna bring good from this, I don't know when, I don't know who it's gonna help, but I trust that he's not doing this to me and if he's letting me go through it, He's gonna bring good from it. That moment comes for Joseph in Genesis 45. The first moment when he's reunited with his brothers, he's there and all of his Egyptian attendants are around. And as he realizes these dusty, malnourished guys are the same brothers who threw me in a pit and sold me as a slave, he becomes overwhelmed with emotion. And so he says to all of his Egyptian attendants, please leave the room. I just want to be alone with these guys. And then look at verse two. He wept so loudly, heaving sobs. He's just overcome with emotion. And it's a mix of emotion. Anger, uh, you know, pain, how they've aged over the years, all these emotions, and yet we're gonna hear from his words that the predominant emotion in all of it is, wow, now I see what God was doing. Even though God's not the one who sold me as a slave, God's not the one who whipped my back, God's not the one who put me in a prison, God was big enough, I kept believing him, I didn't know how he'd work it all out, but here we are, and the promise he gave me years ago, it's coming true, And he's smiling through the tears. This is a moment that will happen for you if you keep clinging to God in your suffering. There will be a moment in this life or in the next that all the pieces will come together and you'll be overwhelmed with emotions and you'll realize God had a plan. Joseph says in verse four, come close to me. He's probably taking off, you know, the Egyptians had a lot of jewelry. He's probably taking some of that stuff off. And as he does, his brothers start to recognize the face. They get close enough, they recognize the eyes. And he says, I'm your brother. I'm Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. (laughs) You can imagine what his brothers are now thinking. We dead. (laughs) Like, we done. It was a good run, you know. (laughs) 
Verse five, Joseph says, and now don't be distressed. Don't even be angry with yourself. Talk about being able to forgive your accusers. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. What you did was wrong, it was unjust, it was evil. But God is so big that he brought good even from your failures. Someone here needs to know today, God can bring good from your failures. I'm not encouraging you to mess up, I'm not encouraging you to sin, but God is a God who can even turn evil, bad choices for good when there's one person involved who says, I'm gonna claim the promises of God and stay true to God. Verse six and seven, Joseph says, for two years now there's been this famine. Famine will continue for five more years. God sent me ahead of you into Egypt to preserve for you a remnant. In other words, you are gonna live and your kids are gonna live Your lives are gonna be saved because of God's goodness. You don't deserve it, but this is how good God is. And the reason Joseph, in this flood of tears and emotion, he's essentially saying, God had a purpose for my pain. I didn't know what the purpose was when I was in the prison. I didn't know what the purpose was when my back was being whipped. I didn't know what the purpose was when I was being lied about, but I trusted that God had a purpose. And now in this moment, I see God had a purpose for my pain. And I kept believing, and now I see why. Joseph is eventually gonna move his dad home. He's gonna be reunited with the family. Their kids are gonna play together. And here's one of the takeaways. The more painful it is now, the more beautiful it will be when you see God miraculously do what only God can do and turn your pain for good. Joseph's story, the high wouldn't be this high if the low hadn't been this low, right? His life was pretty good. He loses everything. He works his way up. He loses everything again. He keeps trusting God, and now it's up here, but he had to go through the low to get up to here. And and Jesus models this for us, right? He left the comfort of heaven. He was sold for the price of a slave. He was one. He had 12. One of the 12 betrayed him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the lowest low in his existence as Almighty God, humbling himself into a human form, he says, Father, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to do this spiritually, emotionally, physically. I don't want to do this. But Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, I'm going to model for every human being made in the image of God that if they will trust your plan in the pain and go through the pain believing your promises, it will lead to glory on the other side. And Joseph's story with his trajectory is really this foreshadowing of Jesus' story. In the moment when Jesus will be worshiped as King of kings and Lord of lords and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and we get to be there because he was willing to be a suffering servant for us. Step three, hand over the core issue of your suffering to God. Now here's what I mean. In our suffering, this is normal, we think if that one thing changes, then I won't suffer anymore. What most of us don't know, and I'm speaking about myself mostly here, is underneath my suffering, there's stuff from my childhood, or there's stuff from, there's all these other things I don't really realize why I'm feeling the things I'm feeling. And I think this one thing would fix it, but what God knows is there's all this stuff under here that needs to be healed. So what I'm talking about is handing over the whole thing to God and saying, God, 
I really want that one solution that will just make me stop hurting. But until you heal me, I'm gonna give you all of me. I'm gonna give you the parts of me that I don't even see and understand about myself. I'm just gonna put this whole thing in your hands. Now, I'm not saying that if you surrender your whole life and you give him your pain that tomorrow you'll wake up and be like, oh, everything's good. You'll still have pain. But you've now put it in the hands of the one person who can bring good out of it. I'll give you a real quick sports analogy here. In baseball, there's this part of the bat called the sweet spot. And here's how this works. In Major League Baseball, you know, a pro pitcher can throw the ball 90 to 100 miles per hour. Uh, That's fast enough that if you're standing there and you get hit in the head without a helmet, it'll kill you. That's how fast a Major League Baseball pitch is. Normal people like me, if I was standing there with a bat, zero chance. Zero. And pretty much any of us who think we have more than that, we're fooling ourselves, okay? Even the best in the world fail more than half the time. And even then, when they hit the ball, they rarely hit the sweet spot. But if they can hit the ball, that 95 to 100 mile an hour ball, with that, those few inches, there's a few inches of the bat that those few inches produce $7 billion a year of income for the major league. Very expensive part of the bat, right? If they can hit that 95 mile an hour ball there, it's a guaranteed home run. Now, this is a picture of what only God can do. The bat is your suffering. Put it into the hands of a capable batter, almighty God. Because Satan throws evil at your life. Your parents might throw evil at your life. Your spouse might throw evil at your life. You might make mistakes that you're throwing evil at your life. And that evil is coming at you so fast, there's no way that you can hit a home run. There's no way that you could take all that negative energy and somehow ricochet it out for good. You can't. But God will. That's what it means to to put your life into his hands in a way that says, God, I I want the immediate healing, but if you don't give me the immediate healing, I'm going to trust that in the right hands, a deadly fastball becomes a home run. And God, there are so many evil things, so many painful things in my life. I can't hit these, but I trust that you can. And so that's what it means to hand it over to God. Verse 18, Joseph sends his brothers back to get his dad and his youngest brother. And his brothers, they finally return. And you can imagine the whole trip, it's about 30 days back home, now back to Joseph. They're thinking, I wonder how he's going to kill us when we get back. Like how he said it's okay and that God had a plan, but like surely this is going to be a painful death. We deserve it. They return, verse 18, they throw themselves down before him and they say, we're your slaves. Talk about poetic justice, right? As a writer, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Literary circle there, right? Sold as a slave, we're your slaves. Look how Joseph replies, verse 19, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Most of us in our pain We put ourselves in the place of God. Joseph somehow, he went through more pain than I'll ever go through, always kept God up above. And so now here's these brothers who deserve justice and he could give it to them. And he says, hey, I ain't your judge. God is. 
You don't just get to that overnight. Joseph lived his life this way, in the pit, in the prison, in Potiphar's fields. God is bigger. God is smarter. I will trust him more than I trust my feelings. And now this same verse we looked at before, this is a paraphrase of it. It says, you planned evil against me. You planned evil. You threw pitches of evil at me. But God used those same plans for my good. God hit a home run from all that you threw at me. And so now you see around me a flourishing nation and water and food and life for many people. This is when you hear this old church word, redeemer, that's what you just learned. God is a redeemer. He's not just gonna deliver you out of your pain. He's not just gonna get you through your pain. He will take the evil in your life and he'll take the pain and he will miraculously turn it for good in a way that only God can. And until he does that, you just be like Joseph and you choose to just keep believing that he will. The moment will come at the end of time when we're there in heaven and God sentences Satan, Lucifer, who came into this world to kill and steal and destroy, sentences him to the lake of fire, the serpent of Eden, the enemy of our souls, that all humans from all of history will see. All the evil ever done to try to stop God, not only did it not stop him, but he was big enough that for everyone who would choose to be on his team, he brought good from it. Let me give you one summarizing last truth and then I'll pray for you. In God's hands, our pain can be repurposed for unimaginable good. The pain in your life right now, God will repurpose it. Choose to be like Joseph. If your faith is weak, that's okay. Mine is too. Let's pray right now. Let's ask God to give us the faith of Joseph. Lord, across this place and for those online, you see our hurts. You weep with us in our pain. Jesus, you were a man of sorrows, well acquainted with our grief. You've had nails driven through your flesh, thorns pressed through your brow. You've been rejected by your closest friends. Masses of people have chanted, crucify him. You have felt every sting of pain that we feel right now in our lives. And you prove that if we will trust the Father, every death will lead to a resurrection. Every surrender will lead to a miracle. So Lord, right now, we give you our pain. We choose the posture of Joseph. We choose to believe that while we, it's unthinkable to us that any good could come, you're an unthinkable God. So Lord, over marriages and over physical ailments, over addictions and over broken relationships, over every form of pain, depression, anxiety, and mental struggles, emotional struggles, over all that pain, Lord, we claim the promise of Jesus that the tears will be wiped from our eyes, that there will be no more death, no more suffering, that we'll look back like Joseph and through final heaving sobs, we'll say, God worked good from all that pain. Until then, Lord, help us trust you. Help us cling to your promises, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that 
And you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us. And please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.